I'm Craig James, and this is Big Audacious Idea, the show about thinking big and asking the greatest questions of the human experiment. On the show, we talk about new technologies, space exploration, possibilities for the future, artful human connection, concepts such as capitalism, and much, much more. Welcome to the show. Have you ever felt thunderous vibrations in your chest as jets fly overhead? In such situations, you may not actually see the aircraft, but you know they're there. They're felt and they're heard. Listen in. Believe it or not, when you watch the Blue Angels flight demonstration team, you're witnessing a team that embodies concepts of love and trust. If we can exhibit positivity in the face of adversity and difficult challenges, well, now that's being audacious. The great leaders exhibit humility. They leverage their second chances. They don't take things for granted. It's this kind of humility and gratitude that builds great teams. A team is a team. When each member achieves a high level of excellence, they do so by acknowledging their own errors and opportunities for improvement and they demonstrate that, indeed, they're glad to be here. Greg Woldridge led the Blue Angels flight demonstration team three times over. He's the only guy to do it. He knows his stuff when it comes to teams. And through his career, he has helped teams achieve the highest levels of excellence, individually and together. Greg, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. My pleasure, Craig. I am so honored to be here. And as we always say in the Blue Angels, very glad to be here. Uh, I'll take your intro, though, and just say that I am the product of a lot of second chances, too. You uh, painted a picture of me as, uh, you know, up on a pedestal, but no way, sir. I was just blessed with so many second opportunities to set things right on occasion and make things happen. Thank you for sharing that. And humility, I think, is one of the things we'll talk about with you and the team and the Blues. As a matter of fact, I'd like to just quickly do an overture. You know, when we think about the show, Big Audacious Idea, or about the future, or about big ideas, often philosophical, and the very word audaciousness or audacious is indeed about our willingness to undertake the bold and the surprisingly risky. And you know a thing or two about that, Greg, and risk and mitigation of it. And we'll talk about that today during our discussion. We're kicking the tires and lighting the fires. We're cleared for takeoff. Greg, again, welcome to the show. And give us a quick one, too, about you. Thanks, Greg. Well, I'm, you know, like you said, humble. Uh, kind of shaky beginnings in my path and my journey in life with the joining, getting into college at my mom's insistence and uh, being on probation the first semester and then uh, not doing so well, but there's got to be somebody that anchors that group, right? So uh, <laughs> anyway, then on into the Navy and setbacks through the Navy, 27 years, but uh, kind of highlighted by both leading the Blues and secondly, my opportunity to command a major naval air station, the best base in the Navy, the presidential citation, one year. But I attribute that to the team that did a great job and being able to use some of these things I learned with the Blues. So great opportunities. Now I just I totally enjoy going around, going around the country and out of the country talking about this way of achieving a high level of excellence. And that's where I am today, and just forging ahead with great enthusiasm. And again, 
positivity, especially in these challenging times. Help me understand, uh, if I might, uh, a little bit more about thunder and lightning. Years and years ago, George Will, in one of his columns, he said, you know, in any enterprise, any endeavor, you have the thunder and you have the lightning. Like when we flew air shows, those six blue, beautiful jets up there flying close formation, and it got all the attention. And, you know, we got done flying and anybody, everybody wanted to come and see us because we were the lightning. But none of that could happen without the thunder, the strength of the team. You know, a hundred or so more folks that were just knocking it out of the park, doing their absolute best, understood that they had ownership in that outcome. And it was incumbent upon us as leaders to make sure they're recognized and, and also go up to them and say, look, what you did today was outstanding. You know, we couldn't have done it without you. Show that respect. Thunder's heard, but not seen. And you can feel it. It gives strength to the lightning. I remember long ago, this documentary, and some guys flying these shiny blue jets. And Dennis Quaid did a great job of introducing you and your team and the principles that jumped off the page from that documentary. And one of the things that I can never forget, and we started the episode, our chat today, uh, with Glad to Be Here. Could you share with us the essence, the origin of what Glad to Be Here means? Glad to be here is the foundation of developing a team that just gets out in front, hits the deck running, as we used to say, with this enthusiasm and this pride. You know, what we got to do as Blue Angels, sure, that was, a, you know, we were glad to be there flying those beautiful jets. But what it really amounted to was the teamwork and the team I got to work with. That's what made us glad to be there at that time and carry that further beyond those times. It's just the appreciation of the opportunities we have and the blessings that we're given each and every day. And it just sets a tone. If you can just take it upon yourself to say, what do I have to be thankful for? What's coming up today that I am so excited about, like this interview with you, sir? Uh, and I look back on yesterday and take about 30 seconds and do that inventory. What, what happened yesterday that I really appreciate that, that I have gratitude for? Was it somebody that did something? Was it something I realized? What's coming up tomorrow? I'm so excited about tomorrow, you know, and it kind of sets an attitude. So you walk in the door at work or whatever, and you're just fired up. You know, one of the things that struck me, and we referred to this a bit earlier as we began our chat, and that's the idea of humility. So that energy, the excitement of glad to be here, true attitude of gratitude, as I know you say, uh, yet at the same time, uh, the guys on your team also were very, very humble. And it was truly like, man, I'm so lucky to be here, also came through in their tone. And I think it's so interesting how the tonal quality of not just what we say, but how we say it. That happened in the cockpit during flight demonstrations too, I know. Could you share with us, I think it's so interesting, a little bit about the, the R in right and tuning into each other so intently in the cadence of what each other is saying and hearing. Yeah, exactly. When we were in flight, a lot of times things didn't go exactly as we wanted them to. And it could be an individual that's having a hard time, uh, maybe had to clear out of that 18 inches away and move out to three feet away to relax, if you will, <laughs> if you can imagine wow. that. But <laughs> no. uh, I knew as a leader that they're feeling a little down in the mouth about that because they, they may be feeling like they let us down. 
And we had another 30 minutes or so of flight to do of just as demanding stuff. So what we would do is we'd check in verbally for each maneuver. I'd tell them exactly what we're going to do. We'd do something like behind the crowd, setting up the diamond roll. You know, well, if I knew somebody was you know, feeling a little set back, I'd say, we're behind the crowd, setting up the diamond roll. And that's a graphic example of elevating the tone, just in tone alone. But obviously, there's ideas that are attached to that. So everybody in the formation has to acknowledge that. And so each of them would say, Dino, you know, and elevate, you know, just to let that guy know, hey, bud, we still love you, man. We trust you. We love you. Come on, get back in here. Let's fight this out together. It's going to be a tough day. And it always is. But we're going to get it done together. You know, in, in today's times, look at all the challenges we're facing. It's so important to be positive and the impact you can have is audacious <laughs> if you just jump out there and don't let things you know, bog you down. Stay ahead of it. So back to the idea of precision and discipline equaling risk mitigation. Don't let me put words in your mouth, but I think I'm hearing that part of risk mitigation is a technical thing, but yet again, a human thing too. It sounds like if someone's down a little bit, bringing them back up and creating a tolerance and a safe place for them to be down for a second, understanding it and pulling them back. Talk about risk a little bit. Before every show we did, every practice, it's good to do a risk mitigation. We called it a briefing. And in our briefing, we talked a lot about a lot more than risk mitigation, but the briefing was covered precisely what we're gonna do. But we also had fallbacks. We said, what if this happens? What if that happens? And we based that on our experiences, what this new show site was going to bring, the terrain, the antennas, the uh, things that could get us in trouble, the new headings, the different things that were there that, that we had to think about. And what if an airplane had a, a system failure, an engine failure, a hydraulic system failure? What would we do? So we did this uh, potential problem analysis, a PPA and look at what was going to happen if this happened and how we would handle that. And it was just clear and essential prior to each and every show. Everything we talk about in the Blue Angels always plays over into every other endeavor, team world, sports, in the business world, or it's always there. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. What's interesting, I hear bold, audacious, humble, a continuum, a balancing of concepts that live together and are interdependent. And I'm also hearing another bookend concept here, if I get it right, that there's the idea of 
the briefing pre and the debrief post. And we always think about the show or the demonstration itself and often forget, sort of like thunder and lightning, that so much happens before and so much happens after. And I think those are great disciplines for us to remember uh, that preparation, anticipation, and what if are essential. And on the back end, the secret sauce that you referred to about the debrief, what's the essence of that or the, the key ingredients, if you might, to a successful debrief? The successful debrief involved letting your guard down. You know, when we went into the room that we debriefed in, following an air show or a practice, and this can apply to business too. You know, you go down there and you have a meeting. It could be just a passing in the hallway. That's as simple as a debrief could be, but glad to be here to debrief. We did. We got into a room that was safe. Anything said there was okay. It wasn't going to be broadcast out to anybody else in the company or in the, in the squadron or in the Navy. But we could tell people what we thought of what we had done Here's the cool thing. So I would start the debrief as the commander, as the flight leader. First of all, I'd say how I thought things went generally. I thought, you know, pretty good air show today. The weather was challenging. We, we handled it all right. And here are my mistakes. And we call them safeties. How often does a CEO or a boss come into a room and say, this is what I screwed up? I'd say, you know, I was 100 feet low at this one crossing pass or 10 feet low, whatever our tolerances were. And another one I had was I was late doing this one maneuver or I, I misspoke. What I would say after each of those missteps or shortcomings was that I'll fix it. So now you're saying, this is what I did wrong. I don't mind telling you because I know you guys still love me. <laughs> you trust me. But I did these things wrong and I'll fix them. And it was just a, such a trust builder. And then I'd go to the next guy, you know, one of the other wingmen. And then we'd go around to the thunder, the folks that led the ground effort. And we'd say, you know, let them express what they could have done better. And at, at the end of each comment, each and every one of us said, this is what I did wrong. I'll fix it. And I am glad to be here. And it just built the trust. I never saw somebody not bring forth what they could have done better and what they'd done wrong with that guarantee that they'll fix it. It's very insightful because it also helps us think about leadership and performance. We could argue that replicating goodness and sustaining it is one thing, and writing something that's not going so well is another, and the ability to sustain and maintain what works and have the insight and perception to know what needs to change if it isn't. And one of the things that uh, is very interesting at this time, the moment in history in which the human experience is jolted uh, through a pandemic, economic change and social change for sure, is the idea of sustaining and maintaining and sameness, like what has to change and what has to stay the same. Gosh, how do we maintain, sustain, bond and trust and connection when we are socially separated, disconnected, and it helps, technology's good, but do you have any ideas on how we continue to do the same thing and stay doing what we do to stay bonded and connected, even though a lot of things are changing? You know, one thing you can do, we can do, and we do do, is, is show concern for the families that are under the stress, families and friends that you might have that are under the stress of these the pandemic and challenges in our society that uh, need to be, many of them need to be fixed. How do we stay connected? How do we view our families? We have to show that caring, that compassion 
what people are going through, working at home, kids not going to school, all those sort of things. Take a look at that and be involved, if you will. Offer suggestions, make phone calls. Virtual meetings are, are, are okay. They're not as good as grabbing somebody by the hand and giving a warm handshake or a hug even, but we can do it virtually. We can show that caring and take a deeper, deeper dive into the background of the people we're working with. And I don't mean scripted ask and questions where you just, you ask it because it's expected. And then and when the answer comes, you kind of, you know, okay, well, good. good, good for you. Let's take a personalized look at each other, especially when we're having to do it virtually. That builds trust and keeps us on, on an even keel, I think. The four C's. Another thing that you've been referring to throughout this chat, and we're with bated breath wanting to understand what that's about. <laughs> well, there's no magic in it. It's just a foundational of building trust. The first one, I like using four C's because it's easier to remember what each word is and then what that means. Competence is the first one. You know somebody is competent. I know my wingman's competent. They know I'm competent. We may not be the ace of the base, which is an old flying expression. If you're lacking that competence, you know, if somebody doesn't see you as being competent, that's going to start the trust process slowly. So if you can have that competence, that starts building it. The next one is character. You know, if you are known for your character, your honesty, your integrity, you know, the old expression, doing what's right even when nobody's looking, right? It builds that, uh, that sense of character. And then commitment. Are we committed equally to what we're about to do? In the blues, that was always the case. We always sought excellence and we always knew we were going to tell folks what we did not do right. Are you as committed as I am? Are they as committed as we are? That built the trust. So you get those three first C's going and you got a real good grip on developing a team built on trust. The fourth one can bust that trust and that's consistency. You're going to expect consistency from somebody you're working with. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to come to the same decision every time, but they're going to use the same values to get to that consistency, to be consistent, to come to that decision. And if you can see that, you're going to know, okay, you know, my trust is right up there. The consistency that came out of the debrief, we knew how people were going to react. And we knew that they accepted responsibility and accountability for what the expectations were. Those three big words, expectations, accountability, responsibility. All those were there. So the consistency was developed. Their expectations of me, I would be consistent in my cadence, how we got these maneuvers going, because the cadence was what allowed them to turn into me before I even started turning, because they knew they could trust the consistency of my cadence. So You've got the, the four there, the competence, the character, the commitment, and the consistency. And if you can think about all those, you can think if those are met highly, you're going to develop trust. That's so helpful and valuable. Thank you, Greg. You know, so often the word trust is used. However, quite often, one may be prone to equate that to character. I think that happens quite often. I trust this person because I believe in their character. They have integrity. I think it helps us uh, breathe life. And it's so important, I think, when we use terms like accountability and trust, uh, that we really explore what we mean when we say that. Well, Greg, as we begin rounding out our conversation, there's a third component to our chat, and it has to do about the future and what's happening now and what might happen as we go forward. And I just, 
I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on, do we have to change what we do in leadership? Is there something obsolete about it? Or is it ever more important to continue doing the things that are at the essence of leadership? What's the same? What's different, do you think? Well, the foundations are still the same. Caring about your people, knowing what the mission is and weaving them into the right roles and the right jobs and getting that mission done and getting that trust developed. All those things that you need to do as a leader certainly are there. As our times challenge us, this journey we're on now, the, the challenges of the pandemic and the remoteness of it, we have to embrace change. And we have to encourage the folks we lead to change, to adapt to change, and not only adapt, but to figure out how do we change? How do we change? And how do you encourage that? And how do you remain loyal to them when they come up with these ideas? And But we have to be open to change and be forward-looking. We have to lead into the future. I think a lot of times, too, when things are situationally challenging us like they are now, these two major problems that we're having or, or challenges that we're having, we have to look forward to next year. We can't get stalled on the notion of fixing what's happening today. Now, we have to address it. We have to look at it. But let's look forward. What are we going to do next year? How are we going to come out of this? Take a look at what's out there. So as leaders, we have to be real aware of that and keep your eye on the ball, knock it out of the park, but know there's going to be another pitch coming and uh, we have to know how to handle that. So there's a bothness, I hear you saying, Greg, that there's the notion of now for sure, but not lose sight of the future. So we have to think now and future, and we have to think same when it comes to foundational things and different and change able to be adaptable and flexible. And I think that's a great lesson for not just what's happening in our country or in the world, but in our businesses and our teams, our organizations and institutions. Great insight, Greg. I, I'd like to also explore as we round out a few things that hit the heart part. And then just a curiosity one. The heart part has to do with leadership. When we think of leaders and leadership, we think of the team, in this case, the Blues. Uh, but there's a big world out there, and there are a lot of other things that are important to teams that others might think are insular and all about the demonstration, like the Blues Make-A-Wish Foundation focus, for example. Why is that so important? It was extremely important to us because, as you might imagine, we were praised and lauded and... Uh, did we have big egos? I don't think we had big egos. We had the potential for that. And we held each other down by that debriefing process. That helped us keep the egos in check. But to keep us humble, we needed somebody, something that let us keep in sight the fact that we're not the heroes. We're not the courageous ones. We're not facing life or death every day in the way that these young people in the Make-A-Wish groups were. They had to get up in the morning and be glad to be here, if you will, uh, the challenge of, of facing the day ahead and taking those kids. I remember carrying one out to my airplane. We'd always on, tell the Make-A-Wish folks, bring the kids out and it's going to be a, a separate period just for them, a special, special encounter and let them come out. I remember little Johnny there in uh, San Diego at Miramar. First couple of years, I'd carry him out to the air. Hey, Johnny, where are you? Okay, come on over here, man. You know, pick him up, carry him out to the airplane, climb up the ladder of the airplane, let him look in the cockpit, kind of sit him in the cockpit. And the third year I went back and little Johnny wasn't there. My heart sank, as you can imagine. Um, I said, well, where's Johnny? And they said, well, he got better. 
I thought, well, there's an example. So we used those kids and the way they had to face life as a centering for us and our approach to what we did and, and what we were so privileged to get to do and to hold the humility of, of holding Johnny, how he was going about life. And so that was, that was essential. For us, it was, it was the Make-A-Wish kids. My dad, rest his soul, he would always say, even when he was dying of cancer, he always taught the lesson of perspective. He would always state someone else has got it worse. And perspective is such a powerful notion. And I think you just helped us see uh, perspective in the story you just told about Make-A-Wish in, in general as a lesson for life. So, Greg, it's been a privilege and honor and a lot of fun and informative to chat with you. As we close, if we were to think in terms of call to action, if there was something you would encourage our listeners to maybe not do, but think or how we think, is there some different thinking you think we should be thinking about? (laughs) An easy way to put that would be to just open your minds to what's going on. Take old preconceived notions Dump them. Open your eyes, open your mind to what's going on in the world today. That doesn't mean we lose our values. doesn't mean we lose or change our appreciation for this great country we, we live in. And how are we going to make it better? We can make it better. It gets better every day. So as you individually go forward, open your minds. We all have ways of thinking that you know, we've been around a while, so we think, well, this is the way it is. Well, maybe it's not the way it is. Think of other ways to handle things. Uh, love your families. Love your friends. You know, I use the word love pretty freely uh, because I think it's a great way to bring people together. Express yourself to others. You know, I watch people. There's a lot of fright out there right now. That you know, above the mask, you can see the fear in people's eyes because you still see the eyes. If it's a brief encounter, you know, hey, that's a cool mask you got on, or what a beautiful day. Say something nice to someone. That's a way going forward that it's challenging because we may be fearful. We may uh, be a little bit concerned, or we are concerned, obviously, but uh, let's do our part to bring those around us up and make those phone calls and get in touch with people. You remind me of a thinker and a master of ancient wisdom, Don Miguel Ruiz. He wrote a book called The Mastery of Love. And he challenged us as humans to realize we have two tracks. We live in a path of fear or a path of love. And it's our choice. And uh, let's go with love. What do you think? Absolutely. Many thanks. Glad to be here, sir. And I've been listening and have had the privilege to share with you. Captain Greg Woldridge, we thank you so much again, sir. Hope to talk to you again soon. My pleasure, CJ. I look forward to it. Glad to be here. We need to check in with other people. We need to pull each other up. Any great effort requires an anticipatory what-if analysis in order to mitigate risk. It's equally important to reflect, after any action, in order to improve something needing improvement and to make something good great. When we debrief effectively, we have to let our guards down and feel safe and secure. We have to feel safe enough to unveil our own safeties. There's nothing like an attitude of gratitude. Trust is a combination of competency, character, commitment, and consistency. So what's coming up tomorrow? What does the future hold? Let's look forward. You've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, and I am Craig James, your host. 
Let us know what you thought about our chat with Greg by tweeting me at cjameskatstrat. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. For more on our podcasts, check out evergreenpodcasts.com. A big thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, our production director, Bridget Coyne, and of course, my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, don't just think audacious, be audacious. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.